good morning, family. Hey, let's give our worship team a hand. They did a great job. Thank you guys for serving us. We are gathered here to worship Jesus. We're here to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus. He's great. He's created us. He is recreating us. He's redeemed us. Isn't he wonderful? He's wonderful. I love him. He's my favorite. Well, we are continuing our series in Philippians, so get your Bible out, grab it, open it up. We are gonna, we're just going to pick up right where we left off last week uh, in chapter 1, verse 27. We'll finish up the first chapter uh, today, and we are talking about gaining dual citizenship this morning, gaining dual citizenship. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to, have, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bow before you. You are great. Jupiter's a thousand times bigger than the planet Earth, and you're bigger than Jupiter. You're huge. You're mighty. You're awesome to behold. Help us behold your bigness today, oh God. Help us, as we even just sang to you, rule in us, reign in us today over every power. Would you do that today? God, I pray that you would use me to speak your word, take away anything that would distract from how great you are, how worthy you are. Help me speak kindly, boldly, and helpfully. God, I pray that your word goes out today like that farmer you talked about with the seed, and it's scattered all over different kinds of soils. And some of that soil rejected the seed and some received it and it just exploded with life and fruit and generative harvest so God right now I want to ask that you would do something that only you can do I pray God that you would transform every one of us myself included into soil that would receive your word so that life would come out of us life would be produced. I'm asking, Lord, that you would do a modern-day miracle and transform all of us into soil that wants to hear what you have to say today because we need you, and you can do this. You've been doing it for 2,000 years and longer, Lord. We love you. Speak to us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. In order to understand what God is telling us today through the Apostle Paul, we kind of need to go back a little bit of history. We need to get a, uh, a historical grasp of the setting of Philippi. We haven't done that yet in the series, and so we kind of need to do that now, just for a few moments. So, 
hey, don't go to sleep on me, okay? I promise this history lesson is gonna be, uh, is gonna be relevant to us, okay? Philippi was a city that was rebuilt by the emperor Octavian. Now, Octavian established the city as a military outpost of the Roman Empire, and he populated Philippi with military veterans that had fought for him, they had fought all of his wars, and won victory for him. And so what happened was this. Emperor Octavian made Philippi an official Roman colony, and he gave that city the Isis Italicum. Italicum. My Latin's a little rusty, Sorry. Is Italicum. That means the right of Italy. Now, this was the highest privilege that could possibly be bestowed on a province in the Roman Empire. It was kind of a big deal for everybody. The citizens of Philippi lived like they were Roman citizens. They lived as if they were physically in Italy, even though they were far away from Italy. They got all the rights, all the privileges, all the liberties, all the freedoms of Romans. That means they could buy property, they could sell and own property. It meant that they were, get this, they were exempt from paying taxes. Land taxes, poll taxes didn't apply to the Philippians because of this honor that was bestowed on them. They also were entitled to protection under Roman law. They enjoyed the peace that the Roman military provided for them. The Philippians were very proud of their city. They were proud to speak the Roman language. They were proud to obey the Roman laws and constitution. And above all, they were proud about the fact that they were Romans. So I want you to picture this a little bit with me now. I want you, always want you guys to get, get into the story here. Picture people who were fanatical about their devotion to the Roman Empire. They were fanatical because of all the benefits that that nation gave to them. I want you to picture living, working, socializing with other people, raising your children in that kind of social, religious, and political environment. Now, picture yourself somehow... You hear and you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ while you're living there. The gospel which claims that Christ is king over all, not Rome, and not Caesar. Somehow you hear that message and you believe that and accept that. Now I want you to picture yourself still having to live the rest of your days in that environment. Do you know what just happened to you? Do you know what just happened to you? You just became a dual citizen because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what else just happened to you? You became a very, very small minority in a place that is fanatical about its earthly citizenship. And because you are a dual citizen now living in Philippi, Life is going to be a lot more complicated for you socially. You know what I'm talking about? It's going to be a little rougher for you. And here's why. As a Philippian Christian, you're living in a society that believes that you worship the pantheon of the gods. Your worship of those gods, that's Pluto, Jupiter, Neptune, Cupid, Pax, 
which means peace, by the way. That's Latin for peace. They believe that your worship of those gods is what keeps them protected and prosperous as a world power. So in other words, showing honor and paying your tribute to the Roman gods was your civic duty as a Roman citizen to ensure success of her nation and her cities and her provinces. That was your duty. It was integrated into the very fabric of life. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't have a meal with someone. You couldn't go to a wedding. You couldn't go to a funeral. It was everywhere you went. So to not worship all the gods, to only worship one god like Christians do, would be interpreted as offensive to the gods. And you know what? That could be interpreted by your friends and your neighbors as a threat against Roman society because the gods could get angry. But don't you love us? Why don't you love us? That's what they would think. So here's the deal. As a Philippian Christian, you would feel some pressure to keep your beliefs about Christ private. Does this make sense? Just kind of keep that like my t-shirt on the inside. I'm wearing it, but you don't see it. We're not going to talk about it. I'm not going to show that. You would be pressured to not really live your belief in the gospel out in your daily life with your friends, with your coworkers, maybe your family. You would feel pressured not to want to spread the message of Christ alone, but just kind of go along to get along because that would just kind of be nicer for everyone. You'd feel this just constant pressure, dull, constant pressure you know what? You might even feel that you lost something really good when you became a citizen of heaven. It'd be easy for that thought to creep in after a few months or years. But then all of a sudden, get this, you get a letter in the mail. You get a letter from your leader, Paul. And he's writing you to strengthen you in living out your faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, your leader, Paul, he's writing from prison. So he's not going to go easy on you. He's not going to say, oh, poor baby, I know it's rough for you socially. <laughs> he's going to write to you some strong, undiluted words to make you strong in your faith and living out your belief of the gospel. And here's what he says in this passage. Since we have gained the status of dual citizens, we need to honor Christ by living like dual citizens. Since we have gained the status of dual citizens, we need to honor Christ by living like dual citizens. So this morning, we're going to talk about this, the allegiance, the duties, and the cost of being a dual citizen. First, as a dual citizen, we give our highest allegiance to Christ. As dual citizens, we give our highest allegiance to Jesus Christ. Let's go to the text. Verse 27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We'll just stop there. There's a lot in that, those, those few words, okay? So here, throughout this letter, Paul is, here's what he's doing, guys. He's grabbing phrases. He's grabbing pictures and metaphors 
from the Philippian culture and from Philippian society, and he, he's kind of using them for his own agenda. He's taking stuff they would be very familiar with and using that to strengthen Christians in their faith in Jesus, to point them to Christ. And in this verse, the apostle uses a word that's only used two other places in the whole New Testament. It's used here, and it's used actually in chapter 3, verse 20, and that's it. Polytusathe. Polytusathe. And what's that sound like? Polytusathe. It's a political word. It's a civic word. It's actually from the word polis, which we get the word city, right? Civic. So polytusathe literally means the responsibilities or duties of a citizen. The, the Christian Standard Bible, I think, brings out the sense of this word a little bit better for us. So let's read it there. It says just one thing. So he's highlighting. He's highlighting just one thing. This is the thing I want you to get. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul is alerting the Philippians to the fact that they are citizens of heaven, not merely citizens of the Roman Empire. And he wants them to know that their Christian citizenship is far more important than their earthly citizenship. Remember what we learned last week? Who was here last week? Quick show of hands. You guys remember what? Great, awesome, love that. I like those instant poll results right there, live. So you guys remember what we talked about last week, right? Do you remember what we talked about last week? Okay, life is all about glorifying God in every way. We live to make much of Jesus in every way. So fast forward today, this week. In order to accomplish that goal, Paul says we must remember what gets our highest allegiance. And then he answers it in this phrase, the gospel of Christ. So this phrase, gospel of Christ, this is another civic metaphor. And it is a phrase that's used nowhere else except here in the New Testament. He's really pulling from the culture here. Paul is using the gospel of Christ in a sense, in this particular sense. He's using the gospel in the sense of like all the teachings that Jesus taught while he was on earth and everything Jesus did in his life. So his life, that it was an example. We're supposed to do what he did and then like all the stuff that he taught and you combine that together, that's the gospel of Christ that he's referring to, okay? It's like a body of work. Are you tracking with me? So it's like the body of Christ's work it's like a document. It dictates how a Christian is supposed to live on earth. And that's what gets our highest allegiance. So listen, Paul is treating the gospel like a constitution and the laws of a nation. He's saying, above all, pay attention, Christians. Uh, most important of what I've said up to this point, here it is. This is the main verb. Remember that you are really citizens of heaven and not Rome. Remember that Christ is your true king and not Caesar. And the gospel is your true constitution. You need to remember that. Now, why, oh why, would the Philippians need to hear something like that? Well, when you live in a city or you live in an environment that takes much pride in its nation or its style of government or maybe the rulers that make all this stuff kind of happen and possible for you, it can make a Christian citizen fudge on displaying their highest allegiance to Christ, don't you think? Don't you think that would be like a real thing that would happen? Absolutely. 
After all, it could make life go rough for you if your friends found out that you're more loyal to Christ in your city or your country. It could make your life rough for you. I mean, what if your friends or your family or your neighbors that you go to school with or you go to work with, what if they found out that the, the life and the values of Jesus directed your life more than the gods and the customs and the values of society? Like, what if they found out about that? They found out that, what were you going to that building for? What was going on in there? Who were you worshiping in there? What if they found out about that? People could get suspicious of you. They could kind of look at you kind of like slant-eyed, don't you think? Particularly in times of national crisis or social unrest. You see, in those times, people tend to be a little less tolerant of dual citizens. They tend to start drawing lines in the sand everywhere in those types of times. And get this, guys. Paul speaks right into this situation. He steps right into that. And he says this, your highest allegiance is to Christ. Nobody's gonna tell you that in the world. So I'm gonna tell you that. You will not have the courage that you need to live a life that honors Christ in every way, not just one way, but in every way. You're not going to have the courage you need to live a life that glorifies God in every way if you don't understand that you're ultimately citizens of his country first. That courage just won't be there for you. The pressure's too great. Biblical scholar Ben Witherington shares a story that vividly brings Paul's point home to us. Dr. Witherington, that's a hard name to say, Dr. Witherington writes, quote, America was in crisis in September 2001, and emotions were running high. One preacher on the West Coast got into the pulpit the Sunday following September 11th and infamously said, I'm an American first and a Christian second. Blow them back to the Stone Age. I'm an American first. I'm a Christian second. When called on this rant after the service, a member of his own church, the preacher reiterated that this is exactly what he meant and he wouldn't retract it. Close quote. Guys, that pastor had a wonderful opportunity right there. He had a great chance to help his people think through a tragedy with biblical categories to do that. And he blew it. He got it exactly wrong. Philippians says, we are actually Christians first and we're Americans second. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. He's not saying that we can't have other allegiances while we're on earth. He's not saying that. We can. And matter of fact, we do, don't we? I mean, if you're married, you have an allegiance to your spouse above all other women or men. At least I hope you do. I hope you do. <laughs> or you may not be in covenant. If, you're, if you are a parent, then to your own children. If you are a member of a church, then to the spiritual leaders and fellow believers of that particular church. If citizens, then to your country. 
So Paul is not saying that as a Christian we can't commit to anyone or anything other than Jesus. He is saying that for the follower of King Jesus, those allegiances are all interpreted by and subordinate to Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we hold our allegiance to Jesus in a closed hand and we hold all other allegiances in an open hand. That's what he's saying. And guys, it is so easy for us to fudge on this. Life at work or at school, the person we're going out on a date with or camping with the guys, I mean, it would just be so much easier if we just pretended that we only had one citizenship like everybody else. Don't we want to be like everyone else? It just goes easier. But we are, in fact, dual citizens. And so we must constantly remind ourselves there is a hierarchy to our loyalty and our values that Christ himself has established. And when those values of society are in conflict with Christ's life or his teachings, we must choose what Christ values. And get this, that's how we actually honor Christ in our body. That's how we do it. Secondly, as dual citizens, our duty is to live in unity with other Christians. Our duty is to live in unity with other Christians. Let's go back to verse 27. There's a lot in this, this verse. Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are, here it is, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul has just laid out the calling of all Christians live according to the gospel constitution because we are citizens of heaven. And now he's defining what that actually means. He's saying, look, here's what good heavenly citizenship looks like. Ready? And then he's, he's laying it out. Paul chains together several verbs right here, and they're all military, military metaphors, actually. So he's speaking to the people that, in a way that they're going to relate to this. And all these verbs, they describe what the duties of Christians are to one another. I want to look at just two of them right now, okay? The first is this. We have a duty to stand firm, to stand firm. This was a command given to soldiers on the battlefield. Stand firm. It means don't give up ground. Hey, you hold your position, That's your objective. You hold that position. What's that imply? There's opposition, so stay there. Don't go AWOL on me. Stay right here. Christians who actually live like they're dual citizens are going to be opposed. Listen, people will not understand this. Like, you can explain it and explain it, and they're just just not going to understand this. And some of them are actually going to be offended by this. You need to know that. Paul says, hey, don't move from your spot. Don't move from your spot. You're in a good spot. There's going to be pressure to talk, to act, to make decisions like a one citizen person. Paul instructs us to stand firm under that social pressure. When the name calling comes, just stand. You just got to stand under it. Second verb here, he says, striving side by side. Striving side by side. It's another military picture that Paul's painting of Roman soldiers. They would stand shoulder to shoulder with one another, 
shields up, making a wall, spears out. And they would do this. And so it would be like this big wall. It was just an ingenious tactic. And they'd just shuffle step. And guys, it was nearly impenetrable. Unless you threw fire on them. That was about it. It was nearly impenetrable because they were all linked up, clicked up, shields up, spears out. They, no one was going ahead. They were doing it together. They were advancing together. One team, one unit. We don't exactly know who these particular opponents to the Philippians were. Paul doesn't exactly tell us. But whatever it was, they were ramping up social pressure on the Christians to conform to the values of the land. And this is causing the Christians to fight among themselves. That's the effect that this tactic is having. The Christians are now spears in, not spears out, right? They're fighting and bickering among themselves. And Paul is addressing this, and he's in fact in emphasizing the fact that we live for Jesus together as one unit. One unit. Brothers and sisters, we must see each other on the same team. We must see each other on the same team as Christians. Team Christ. Because Christians have a common bond with heaven, of a heavenly citizenship and we have a common king, we have a duty. Let me put it this way. We have a responsibility, whether you like it or not. Kind of like soldiers get responsibilities whether they like it or not. We have a duty, we have a responsibility to help one another live in alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you can't do that out there on your own. You, will, you try that, you try doing that without the church, you will cave. You will fudge, you'll say, I'll adopt that, I'll just incorporate that, it's no big deal. You'll fold. You've got to be linked up, clicked up with everybody else. And we have a responsibility to say, hey, you're dragon. I love you. Let's go. Hey, I see an idol that you're bowing down and worshiping. That idol will kill you. Come on, let's come to Jesus. Let's come to Jesus. And you do that for me. Let's come to Jesus. We need one another. We have a duty to help one another live in alignment with the gospel, especially when there's social pressure being applied to disrupt us from doing so. We have a high duty to link arms and help one another live as citizens of heaven in this world. And we do it as a un one unit. We do it as one squad, one team. Brothers and sisters, we are not to turn on one another in disgust and anger. And we love doing that. I mean, if you're disgusted at someone, what are you really doing? You're saying, I am morally superior to that person. I would never do that. Ugh. Ugh. And that's how we talk to each other, right? I can't believe they think like that. Ugh. I'm higher than them. We can't do this. We cannot do this. We are not to let our earthly allegiances divide up the people of God with bitterness or with rivalry. We are not to draw lines in the sand that God has not drawn. Now, he's drawn some lines, but we aren't to draw out lines he hasn't drawn. We're to find out what his lines are and help one another find them. Do, do you guys see that? Do you see what I'm talking about? 
Like, do you see, like, that's the spirit of the age right now? Like, if you haven't noticed that, you aren't paying attention. Everything right now is binary. Everything's binary. It's black or it's white. It's left or it's right. It's red or it's blue. Right? Everything. It's pro or it's anti. There's no room right now for nuance. There's no room right now for persuading people. Our political leaders, our cultural leaders, and yes, even some of our spiritual leaders are drawing lines in the sand and pressuring people to pick a side. They're forcing people. You gotta pick a side on this and this and this and this. The strategy out there is to divide us into subgroups by our earthly allegiances. That's the strategy. And guys, we cannot let that spirit of division take place in here among Christians. We can't let that prosper here. Amen? Thanks for that amen, John. I needed that. The church must be different. You must be different. Will we disagree? Yes. Is that healthy? Yes. Will we divide? Not easily. Not going to let that be easy. On the contrary, in our differences, we Christians will intentionally fight to preserve unity. Now, isn't that a way of put, putting it? Weird way? Fight to preserve unity? We're going to fight to preserve unity. Uh-uh, don't push away from the table. Come on back. Let's talk. I'm with you. You're with me. On the contrary, as Christians, we will stand firm in our allegiance to Christ above all. We will strive together on the same team to help the gospel go deeper into us and wider into the world, which is our mission. This commitment to unity is actually what makes Christians shine like bright lights in a dark and sad world. Where do you need to apply this in your life, brothers and sisters? Ask the Holy Spirit to do that. I'm not going to suggest that. I'm going to let the Spirit of God do that. Where do you need to apply that right now, this week in your life, in your mind, in your thinking, in your valuing, in your speaking? Ask Him to apply it to you. Thirdly, as dual citizens, we pay a cost. As dual citizens, we pay a cost. Let's go to the text again. Verse 28, 29. And not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should, get this, not only believe. It's easy to say, I believe, right? I'm on this team. Yeah, I believe. I believe that's all true, okay? Not only believe in him, get this, but also suffer for his sake. Paul tells the Philippian Christians that they have a duty to live with Christ as their highest allegiance and the church as their ultimate team that they're linking up with. It even supersedes family ties. That's why we call each other brother and sister. And people look at that and go, well, Christ is your highest allegiance? 
I don't get that. Those people? You're with those people? <laughs> yeah, that's my home team right there. Crossway Church, that's my home team. I'm with them, they're with me. We're for each other. So he says, we have a duty to live at Christ as our high, their, their highest allegiance and the church is their ultimate team as they link arms together. And get this, then he tells them they will suffer just like Christ did when they live this way. When they actually, when they actually get to the doing of doing those things, and they get to the moment of they're actually doing it, they're going to suffer like Christ did. Because up at that point, it's all belief. It's all theory. And that's easy, right? They're going to suffer just like Christ did when they actually go to the doing of it. But he says this isn't a sign that they've done anything wrong. It's actually a sign they're doing something right. Because when you get in trouble, doesn't it make you feel like you did something wrong? That's because that person saying you're doing something wrong. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you, you're doing something right. You're going the right way. He doesn't mention imprisonment here. Like he's experiencing, he doesn't mention death. So I think this is a social pressure that the Philippians are experiencing that's kind of ramping up right now. He says that they're going to experience a type of social suffering. You know what that is? Like loss of honor, loss of honor in your society. You're up here, and now you're kind of like, I was just talking with someone this week. They're like, Christians, why do, they need it? why do we need them in society? They're bad for society. Well, our Lord says love all people, right? And love our enemies, in fact. We're good for society. Loss of honor, loss of friends. Sometimes people might unfriend you on Facebook or in real life. Loss of rights, lots of privileges. People will put dishonorable labels on the Philippians. People might accuse them of things that just aren't true. They'll accuse them of motives that they just don't have. It's a lie. In other words, Paul is saying that living like a Christian will make your life harder, not easier. And we need to know that. Do, do you guys know the benefit of being a dual citizen? Like what some of the big benefits of being a dual citizen are? Like you get more, ben you get more benefits, right? You get more access to more places and travel more freely to more places. There's a lot of benefits to being a dual citizen. Do you know historically what the big problem with being a dual citizen is? Do you know what the big disadvantage, historically speaking, of being a dual citizen is? I'll tell you. You can look back through the annals of history. Proves this out. During times of war or social strife and upheaval, who gets blamed for the problems of that nation? Who gets blamed for it? Not the people that were born there. They don't get blamed. Those with dual citizenship, historically anyway, are the scapegoats for the ills of a society. Paul is saying right here, you will pay a tax socially for living the way that our Lord did. There's a cost to being a dual citizen. But Paul also says this, this suffering is actually a gift that's been granted to you. Could you see this as a gift? It's a gift that's been granted to you, believer. It's a gift to be called names by people that you actually love. And they say, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you anymore because you believe that. I don't want you here anymore. It's a gift. It's been granted to you. It's a gift to be called names, to be shunned at your work, and just somehow you just never get in that promotion 
someone that always goes to someone else. I don't outright fire you, but you know you can't ever move up. It's a gift to be falsely accused of being a troublemaker or an agitator for living for Christ's glory above all. How is this a gift to Christians? Because, because suffering has a sifting effect. It has a sifting effect. It is a gift because it shows, it shows out who you truly love and who you truly worship. It takes it from theory to reality. Now you see it. It really is real. It's like real for real. You hoped it was real. By faith, you hoped it was real, but now you see it's real. I love him above all things. It's a gift because it demonstrates you really are united to Christ. If you weren't really united to Christ, you wouldn't deal with all that stuff. You'd fudge on all that. You'd keep the t-shirt on the inside. It's a gift because those who are truly united to him have also been given a great promise that goes along with this. Christ will help you persevere to the end, even the face of loss. Big ones and little ones. Big ones and little ones. He will help you persevere. Isn't that good news? I love that. Look at John chapter 17. Jesus prays this amazing prayer. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because, why? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. He consecrated himself. He set himself apart. How? By obeying to the point of death. That was his consecration. Why? So that you may be sanctified, that you may be like him. You may be like him in this world. Jesus, your king, has prayed for you. He's prayed for you. He has asked that you will be strengthened when you need it most. He has prayed that you will renounce idols when you find out that you're worshiping them. He's prayed that you will be faithful to him to the end. He's prayed that you will remain steadfast under the social pressures or false accusations. He's prayed that you will continue to live like citizens of his kingdom even as you are living as citizens of this world. He has prayed for you. We do not have to do this in our own power. Isn't that good news? We do this in the power that Christ himself supplies. Have confidence that you can live as a Christian because your mighty king has prayed for you. Yes, you. I love you guys. I'm going to pray. Oh, Jesus. Who in the world is like you? <laughs> that you would love people like us 
that you would sacrifice your life for us so that we might be citizens of your great kingdom that is without end, will never end. Thank you for doing for us that we, what we can't do for ourselves, which is to give you full honor and glory so that we would be able to do that by the power of your spirit, by the power of your prayers. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, you've been beating me up all week. I'm ready for a different sermon. <laughs> um, showing me my idols. And I'm just, you know what, God? I just say you win. I give up. You win. So just have your way in my life. And I pray that we'd be a people that just say, you know what? I quit fighting you. Just have your way because it's going to be good. So would you start doing work? Would you start doing business with people in this room? People listening? Help us see how glorious you are. Help us see how much you've given. And Lord, help us be one. Help us be one. Amen. Amen.